as I said last week, we are getting to the end of the book of Hebrews. It's been a great journey. I've really enjoyed it. It's been such a practical book showing us who Jesus Christ is, the supreme Christ who came to this earth, the one who's the creator of everything and, every, and, and everyone, the one who sustains us every single day. And then as we get towards the end of this book, there are these practical applications of how do we now live in the light of who Christ is and how does he help us in our daily living. And so that's the kind of section we're at in chapter 13. It's the so what of everything else we've heard before. How do I now live before God? And we've looked at how to live uh, with each other, chapter 13, verse 1, as fellow believers, how to love each other. We've been challenged on how we show hospitality to those who come across our way every single day, whether we know them or not. Do we show them the love of Jesus Christ in practice? We've been reminded of those who are suffering and how we are to reach out to them and in practice, once again, show them the love of Christ. We were reminded last time of our marriages and how our marriages are to show Jesus Christ and His grace extended to every single individual in that now combined relationship called marriage. We looked at how Christ and His Lordship extends into our sexual purity as individuals before Him and how the world is seeking to pull us away and to get us to worship its gods, gods which would lead us away from God Himself to utter destruction. And how we as believers in the church are often pulled that way and we really need to fight against and stand against the wiles of Satan. Then we look too at how we use the resources God's given us that we don't have any other idols before the Lord but that we recognize God himself as our source of life in everything, whether the times are good or bad, God will provide for me. He is my sustenance. He is the God who will look after me. He is the rock into which I run when I'm going through hard times. God is my source of life. And this morning we come to a practical aspect of leadership and how do we relate to those in leadership in the church? And how do we as leaders look after those who are following? Because God has put us in this concept that He made up called the church. And all the churches is a bunch of believers thrown together. Big and small. Large and tall. I'm trying to think of other superlatives. I can't. Okay. Come in different shapes and sizes, nationalities, personality types. Doesn't matter. God puts us together in this one body He calls the church. And He calls us to follow, to play the game called follow my leader. You all know, remember the game from your childhood days? I'm sure you do. Come on. One person at the front and they start running around and whatever the leader does, you got to do. And this little train follows them around and you're doing all these actions. Great fun, mostly. I like this picture, even the dog's involved. And we're called to do whatever the leader does ahead of us. That was the game. Well, in a way, Christ calls us to that as well in the, the church. It's his design, the church. And in this organization called the church, he would have imperfect people following imperfect leaders who are following 
a perfect leader. There's the game of follow my leader. Imperfect people following imperfect leaders following a perfect Christ. And as we follow this Christ, we serve each other. Leaders serve the people, the people serve the leaders, and together we all serve Jesus Christ. And so let's explore this design that God has for us for His church. And I'm going to read from chapter 13, verse 1. Oh, sorry, I'm not. Chapter 13, verse 7 to 8. It says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now flick across to where, the, where it continues that theme. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, says the writer to the Hebrews, for we are sure that we have a clean conscience, a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I, that's the writer, may be restored to you, the people, sooner. You see, by God's design, the organization called the church is not a democracy. It's not an autocracy, one leader. It is a theocracy. God is the one who is in charge of his church. And as part of his design, he appoints leaders among men and women. Leaders who will lead his people under him. He is God. He is in charge of his church. And he rules his church through people, through godly leaders. And so he's chosen leaders from among his people to lead his church. He hasn't brought a whole bunch of angels here and said, listen to them. He's chosen human beings like you and me to lead his people. And he gives us the ability to do so. And so we have pastors and elders, or elsewhere called in Scripture overseers, or under-shepherds, or bishops. I just left my bishop thing at home. But he's also got other leaders appointed. He's got home group leaders, Bible study group leaders, Sunday school teachers, anyone who's got leadership responsibility in the church, God's organization. So that's who this word applies to today. And so I'm going to have a word first to the people. And it's this. As people in the seats, and I sit in the pew too with you, and the other elders who preach also sit with you in the pew deliberately every now and then when someone else is preaching, we are part of the people. Our text this morning says, remember your leaders. Why? They taught you God's word past and present. The writer to the Hebrews is reminding them that they've got a rich history of faithful leaders who were imperfect, 
but faithful to the Lord. And they listed for us, as we saw previously in chapter 11. And there we've got that whole list of people who are recorded in Scripture as imperfect people, but they led faithfully, God's people. And we're not told in this specific Scripture, but in this period that this book was written in, the church was under extreme hardship. And these Jewish believers had been cast out of their Jewish communities because they now believed in Jesus Christ. And so they were martyrs for their faith. And some of them might even have been killed for the faith. Some of the leaders might have been killed, if we look at Christian history, might have been killed for their faith during this time. And they, he's saying to them, remember your leaders, those who taught you the word past and present. This church, Wanganui East Baptist Church, has a history of a hundred and something years of faithful preaching of God's word, leading God's people in the word to worship Him and to serve in this community. We must remember our leaders, past and present, for the work they do in preaching God's Word and teaching His Word. And whether that's at Sunday school level, whether that's in home group, whether that's here, standing up here on a Sunday morning, we have to remember our leaders. I'll come to how we do that later. It says this, and this is a scary bit. It says, consider or scan closely is the literal translation. Consider their lives. Consider, scan carefully the outcome or the testimony of their lives. I quiver at that one. Because we are imperfect people. But scripture says we are to look up to our leaders. We are to consider their lives. Yes, they're imperfect people, but they're people who believed the, the Lord, they're people who serve God despite their shortcomings. So see the shortcomings, but see the Lord behind them. Consider their testimony on their lives. And then, this is the more scary one, it says, imitate their examples of faith. Imitate their imperfect examples of how to live everyday life for Jesus Christ. We follow you follow us as leaders as we follow Christ. But see Christ. You see, God puts people in front of us. People like you and I in human clothes. Because it's easier to see a human being than it is to see an invisible God. He says, follow my imperfect people. I will perfect their faith and their testimony before. But follow them. You see, the Christian faith is not a passive faith. It's an active faith. It's participation. It is cop copying. It is imitating. It is looking to. It is scanning. It's not sitting on the sidelines as spectators, watching everything go by. As Dave, I think Dave said it once, Christianity is a participation sport, not a spectator sport. We need to be doing things in the Christian faith, imitating, scanning others' lives, and then following. You see, we all imperfectly follow Jesus Christ. The only one, says our text this morning, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why the text is right in that place. Because it's been calling us to follow imperfect leaders, and the reminder is there, they follow the perfect, unchangeable God Christ Jesus himself, the one who never changes. Jesus is the only one who's the same yesterday 
and today and forever. As a boy of 12, going into the temple, as a candidate for baptism under John the Baptist, as an itinerant preacher with his disciples, walking the streets of Israel, as a lonely sufferer in the Garden of Eden, suffering for us, as our Lamb on that cross, Jesus was always the same. He never got ruffled. He never complained. He was never at a loss for words. He was never wondering what to do next. He was never wrong. He was never needing to apologize. He was never hesitating for a moment. He was never out of communion with God, unlike us as believers and as leaders. He was always the same, and he is still the same today. And he wants you and I to imitate this consistency of spiritual life before him. In other words, he's calling us through our Christian lives to live on an even keel in a world that's upside down. You and I as believers are to show the way by the way we live before the Lord. By the consistency of our Christian lives before Him. Most times. Because the world around us, you might have noticed, is topsy-turvy and going mad. Everything is being thrown around. All the values we used to value as dear are now being questioned or thrown out or rejected or the antagonism of the world is coming against us for holding on to those values. We are to live on an even keel before the Lord. We are not to get frustrated. We are not to complain. We are, are to never wonder what to do next. We are to come before the Lord and say, Lord, give me the wisdom to live a life which shows that you are my God, that you know what's happening, and that I trust you. Help me to live on an even keel. And not to do the ups and downs of the world in my life too. He calls us to live on an even keel. And yes, he knows the problems, he knows our perplexities in life we, that we all face as people and as leaders. We all face those trials, those temptations, those testings. He knows, he understands. He knew, he understood about these Hebrew Christians. And that's why he gave him this book of the Hebrews. And for you and I too today, he is the same today as yesterday. He is able and will meet our needs. Do you trust him? That's the whole book of Hebrews. And in the meantime, we are to remember and follow and imitate our imperfect leaders placed before us by God. And how are we to do that? Verse 17 says it. And these are the two most unpopular and dirty words in 2022. I'm sorry. Obedience and submission. Now they scare me as a leader. But before the Lord, He helps us in this task. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. What does that mean? Literally it says, here's a literal translation, obey them that have the rule over you given to them by God. It's not our rule as leaders. God has given us the task of rule in His church 
It's His appointment. And that's why when we appoint an elder in this church, we'll go through quite a process. Because we want to discern the will of God. Is this what God wants for us? Is this a leader God wants in this church? And so we'll have the church watch their life. And they're not going to see a perfect life. They're going to see the life of someone who wants to serve God. And He makes it plain in their lives. And then when we humanly sure that that is what God wants, we then affirm that position. God has already made the decision. It's not ours. But there comes a user warning here with leaders. Are you listening? If you read the package, you'll see warning. Church leaders are not to be tyrants. We don't rule for ourselves. We rule for God. It's not our rule. God rules. The danger sign is there when a leader puts on a crown and starts to dictate. And either through power of personality or through pastoral edict. And you find that often in mega churches, it becomes all about that leader. And when that leader falls over, the whole church falls over. And whatever that leader says goes. You better just go with it. Now, fortunately, in small churches like this, you guys keep us humble real quick. And that's what I like about smaller churches. So there's leaders shouldn't be dictating. Leaders should only be leading where God is directing them. Where's that? In the truth. We shouldn't be leading anywhere else but in the truth. Walk with me as I follow God in the truth. And so in meekness and humility, as leaders, we are to seek God's direction for His church. We are to then preside over His church because He's put us there in that responsibility. We are to teach the Word in the church. We are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort as Scripture reproves, rebukes, and exhorts, says Titus 2.15. That's our role. I'm not to take up beef with someone because I've lost a rag and have my personal agenda and hammer it out with them. If the scriptures rebuke, reprove, and exhort, then only do I do it. That's all. However, here's the warning, and I said to you it's a warning on the package. When the pastor or the leader or the Sunday school teacher or the home group leader, when they divert from the truth, challenge them. But do it biblically. You don't rock up there with some big guys. Some big Samoan fellas. You challenge them biblically and with humility. Remember the log story? You see, spiritual leaders are not infallible or perfect. Just ask our wives. There are times when you as people are justified in disagreeing with a pastor or an elder. And I've had someone where I've been teaching inaccurately. It was a small thing, but they came and said, hey. And I said, oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. And then I'd correct on the following Sunday. And there might even come a time when you need to accuse a leader of sin. Because you see our lives. Scripture calls us to it. Where do I get that from? You see, Scripture tells us how to go about this. 1 Timothy 5. And I want you to turn there. If you've got Bibles, and you must have Bibles, please. This is not an edict. I'm asking. 
1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. This is what it says. This is how you challenge a pastor or a leader when it comes to Scripture. 1 Timothy 5, 19 to 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Why does God do that? Because if more than one has seen the same thing, it's probably right. And there's more to that, but I won't go there now. As for those who persist in sin, he's talking about leaders, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Now that's harsh. So when the leader's in sin and two or three have come and that leader still continues in sin, then there comes a Sunday morning when the other elders will get up with some from the congregation and they will call that leader back to repentance in front of everyone. Why? So that the people sitting in the, in the congregation can see if a leader gets it for sin, then I'll get it too. We are called to account for each other, aren't we? You see, if the, and then, if the error in the teaching or the sin continues in that leader, stop following them. Get out. Because that's our sixth start. And so, how are we to remember our leaders? And I'll go through this a little faster and a little bit more practically. How are we to remember our leaders? Here it is. First one, obey the truth that they are pointing you to. Be responsive to God's word, in other words. There should be this mutual obedience to the truth from the leader and the follower. And then, submit to the oversight over your life. Scripture is saying that we as leaders have oversight over your lives before the Lord. It's a task that's been given to us. I want you to look after my sheep. And you're going to give an account of your looking after my sheep. And that's why we shouldn't be very quick to appoint teachers and leaders. We should really look at their lives and ask, Lord, is this what you want from us? Because there's an extra responsibility that comes with leadership. We will be called to accounts, not just for our own lives, but for how we led others on the Lord's, in the Lord's church. And so you're to submit to our, the oversight in your lives. And it should be a voluntary submission, not a forced one. I've got to listen to you because you're an elder and God says so. It's the wrong spirit, isn't it? It's I want to have oversight over my life so that before the Lord I walk a life worthy of Him. Help me in that. That's the humility that's called for. And understand that God has appointed us leaders to keep watch over your soul. What does that imply? One word. Starts with a D. Sorry, D. Danger. Otherwise, why keep watch? There's watch over every one of our souls. And so God has appointed others to keep watch over our souls. Like those soldiers standing on the city walls watching for the enemy. And so that means we've got to be in touch with our people. And, says the Lord, you're going to give an account to God over the welfare of your people. And that's a real sobering responsibility. Thirdly, how do we remember our leaders? 
It says, make their oversight of you a joy and not an agony, says verse 17. I like this one. No, not really. You see, John, the Apostle John could say, and he was the Apostle of love, all right? He could say in 3 John, chapter, 3 John 4, he said this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Now, hear the heart of a pastor. There is no greater joy to us as leaders, whether they're Sunday school teacher, a Bible study leader, a home group leader, a pastor and elder. There's no greater joy to a leader than to see people responding to God's word and to see that growth happening in their lives. They want to obey God. I don't have to nag them into the kingdom. They want to obey God. And I see the fruit. And I've been here for, what, 12, 13 years. You probably say too long. I've been here for 12, 13 years. And in the lives of many of you, I've seen that progression. We've grown together in Christ. And I thank my God in all remembrance of you, says the Apostle Paul of the Philippians, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. That's the good part. On the opposite side of the joy scale, that's right in the minuses now, is the tragedy of spending years of your life as a leader, working with those who do not grow, who do not respond to spiritual leadership, who do not walk in the truth. They, con they just plod on in life. There's no consistency in the gathering together with other believers on the Lord's Day. They're sporadic. Some Sundays, other Sundays. Some Sundays, sometimes months go by and we don't see people. No consistency. And yet, when those same people need help, they're here at 6 in the morning knocking on the church doors when, wondering when we open because they need help. That saddens my heart as a leader. And when people do attend, they insist on superficial interaction with people. They just come and go. Don't interact with the rest of the congregation. Sitting on the peripheries. There's no service to others. There's no mutual encouragement. There's no com commitment to this body of believers, whether that's through membership or doing things for the body, service. And this brings deep grief to the heart of any leader. And the literal translation of that, it brings an inner, unexpressed groaning and agony of the soul. That's what keeps us awake at nights, thinking through things, weeping in my soul as a leader. Scripture's true. We have the example of Jesus grieving over an unbelieving Jerusalem. And just hear the heart of Jesus now in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Listen to the heart of Jesus. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. In other words, their leaders. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Do you hear the heart of the pastor? Behold, your house is forsaken. And, and I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there he was prophesying. Do you hear the heart of Jesus Christ? 
See the heart of a spiritual leader. And then, what do we do about that? You see, you and I as believers who are leaders are going to stand before the Lord. And one day when I appear before Almighty God, I have to speak to Him about a sometimes failed ministry when it comes to people. And I know He does His work, but I'm supposed to do my work too. But if I can't, I feel a failure. So please help me. It's therapy for your pastor. And it's cheap. What can you do? Fourthly, verse 18. Pray for your leaders. You see this Hebrew author asked for prayer. What does he pray for? He, he prays for three things. Take note of that, verse 18. He prays that as a leader, he will continue to serve the people. There are pastors who've come and gone because they can't take it anymore. Of the pastors in our cluster, and I'll give you a practical example here, quite a few guys in the central North Island slash Wellington region. Me and another guy, and I've only been in 12, 13 years, we are the longest in ministry. So The other guys have fallen away, or are much younger. At the Baptist Hui we had, People were talking there about they can't stay in, in leadership much long because it just burns them out. And so they get out. After a couple of years being, in, um, being students, they then get into a church situation, stay for a year or two, and that's a long time for some, and then they're gone. Can't take it. It's a hard ministry. And so you need to pray for your leaders. He prays for a second thing. He prays... May the Lord give us a clear conscience in everything we do. And thirdly, a desire to act honorably in all things. In other words, help me not to lose my rag when I get impatient with people. You need to pray for us as leaders. And the question I want to put to you this morning is when last have you and I prayed for the leaders of this church by name? Just think of all the ministry roles. When last have you and I, and I include myself because I'm just one, when last have we prayed for the leaders in this church by name? Those Sunday school teachers sitting in the back there. Those who lead our home groups. Those who teach up front. Any leadership positions here? When last have we prayed for them by name? In God's wisdom, and if we say we believe this word, that's what he's bringing to us as a church on this Sunday in 2022. Let God's church hear and have open ears to hear. Now you thought I was finished, but I'm not. I've still got to speak to the leaders, and this will go quite quickly, not because I want to gloss over it, but because the text doesn't quite hammer it. So I'm not going to hammer it either. But here it is. Leaders, here's God's word to us this morning. Watch over your people. What does God's word say to us as leaders in his church? You see, there's a responsibility to us. It's not just a title or a role. There's, there's the word mahi that goes with it. There's work that goes in. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4, is, this is what it reads. Listen to the text. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. 
So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the here's instruction to us. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's our Hebrew text. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's after you've stood before him. Likewise, you who are younger, and then he carries on and he gives examples of how every single facet, every single person in the church can serve. And so elders, I've got eight bullet points for you. Here it is. Continue to teach the truth in this generation. God has put us here for this generation. Not a future generation. Someone else will be here then. But for this generation that is right in front of us. Fish your feet. God will look after the future. He will look after the little children among us now. If we give them the principles of God's word now. The rest is up to the Lord. We are to teach the truth to this generation. You see, if we teach in error now, it has consequences and it will leave its trace in them too. So we need to be teaching the truth from God's word now. Secondly, we are to watch over the souls of those in our care. And to watch over the souls of those in our care means we're going to have to have conversations. We're going to have to, have to get to know the people, have those deeper conversations with them about what's going on in here because we can't see. Watch over the souls of those in your care. Don't lord it over the people. They already have a lord and so do you. Don't lord it. Fourthly, you will give an account of your service as a leader to the Lord. Let's remember that. Fifthly, shepherd the flock under your care. How do we do that? We need to know them as individuals. We need to feed them good spiritual food, not lightweight, feel-good spiritual candy floss. Feed them food from God's Word. Let's not talk about the rugby and all the other stuff we generally tend about when we, we get together. We can talk about that stuff later. Let's just... Speak to each other about the stuff which gives life. And those who, who start going astray, our role as leaders is to chase after them. And this is where I fall down sometimes because I get impatient. We are to chase after those going astray. We are to exhort, that is to encourage with the word, those who are growing cold. And so as a pastor, when I come alongside and I start having an encouraging conversation with you, it might be because I'm concerned. So open up for that conversation. Encourage the weak, it says. Visit the sick. Urge the development of those spiritual gifts which the Lord gives in people. Let people not just be happy with just letting life go by and not seeing any change. Give help to all. Be hospitable. Be exemplary in your own life. Yes, this is a heavy responsibility to bear. And therefore, God gives us the ability. 
And therefore, the church is to pray that God will give us the ability. Not just to lead, but for you to follow as imperfect followers as well. Christ gives the ability. And lastly, and I promise it's lastly, there should be unity in Christ. It's not an us and them, leaders and people. It's a we. We are together in this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Listen to this. This kind of sums up what I was saying here. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So there's the leaders. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Building up the body of Christ until we all, there's that word, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, holy like Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, and we'll speak about that next term in the next verses. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let Scripture be the last word. So what do we do with that? Three words. Leaders. Lead and serve with joy. Not groaning. And do this through Christ. Who enables it. Followers. Bring joy, not sorrow. In the way you lovingly submit to your leaders and obey God's truth. And do this through Christ. Who makes it possible. And together... Philippians 4.13 says, we can do all this, how? Through Christ who strengthens us, us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who is the perfect, unchanging one. Who never falters, makes mistakes, who knows everything. We, on the other hand, are weak, imperfect, faltering, making mistakes people. And therefore, Lord, we need your strength, your wisdom. We need you in our lives, Lord, to help us to live our everyday lives in the community but here in this church too, your church, the one over which you are head. And so, Lord, help all of us, whether we are leaders in this church, and whatever that might be, or whether we are um, serving in the church, in whatever that might be, help us to be firstly faithful to you. Help us to pray for each other. And then help us to get our arms around each other and to help us as we walk our daily lives. Because through that, 
your name will be glorified and the world will see by the way we love each other that you are Christ and that you can love them too. Help us in our imperfect love and our imperfect walks, we pray.